Well, everyone, welcome to What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. I could teach in <laughs> I couldn't. I can't resist but uh, laugh. I could teach in parables. <laughs> Maybe the laughter is because I know that in comparison to what I think of when I think of a parable, and as much as, again, it would be from Christ, there's no comparison. My parables do not measure up to, in any biblical proportion, to that of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so so I, I won't call it a parable. I'll call it an analogy, which is sort of like a parable, but takes the pressure off of me. I am horrible <laughs> at a lot of things, but with math particularly. I can recall a time when my son came to me and uh, he was, I don't know, it doesn't take much to get past or surpass my knowledge of math, um, multiplication, division, but certainly algebra, geometry, trigonometry, all of those ometries. When you get into that territory, I am not smart at all. I don't understand it at all. You could teach me the postulates, I guess, the theorem that goes into, I think postulate would be the rules of geometry. You could give me all of that, and they, and they did. And I failed miserably. Not literally. I did get a passing grade, but I am in no way, shape, or form proficient. No way could I help my son when it comes to math, when it came to math. And with that, then, I just said, you got to talk to your mom. <laughs> She's the one that has the math brain, which is really not true, but she, he had to talk to somebody. And I was quite all right with not looking like the fool. <laughs> Let her have all the fun. Analogy. But my son is quite unlike his mother and his father. He has a pretty good brain. And really the problem... The trouble for him when it comes to math wasn't necessarily and always been. Wasn't necessarily that he couldn't come up with the answer. The problem was he couldn't show his work. He couldn't establish how he got there. He didn't understand all the rules. And really math is sort of another analogy on an analogy. <laughs> sort of like learning a language. You have to understand the basics, and then you build on it. And before you know it, you're speaking math, or you're speaking geometry, or you're speaking trigonometry. So too <laughs> with the Bible. Line upon line, precept upon precept. And I think that's good for all aspects of our understanding and knowledge of God and all the rules and then the application of those rules and with that then proving our work 
workman approved. But I don't know that that is in and of itself the point. (laughs) The point for me is, even if you taught me all of those things, I'm not sure I could apply it. And even more so, much like my son when it comes to mathematics, he didn't need all the rules. He just had him in it to do it. And that's about as far as the analogy goes with the Bible. But I want to extend at least that line of thinking, that type of thinking, to a passage of Scripture that I think is very, very important and probably catches a lot of individuals up and represents a bit of a stumbling block. And of course, for any of you who have been with me over the last several weeks, we're in the book of Acts. Acts of the Apostles. And we're still working and mining all the great scripture in and around chapter 14 and now extended 15. And with that, then we'll make the segue into actually reading those wonderful words. And certain men who came down from Judea taught the brethren... And said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And I started with verse 1, by the way. Now we're on 3. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, Ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knoweth the hearts bore them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why put God to the test to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God first 
did visit the nations to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, And this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again its ruins, and I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the nations upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the age. Wherefore, my judgment is that we trouble not them who from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostle and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain who went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men that have, hap- have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from things offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if you or if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, They were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So, what does this have to do with math? And I told you it wasn't a good parable. (laughs) It would fall far short of any of that (laughs) being good or as there is only one good but God and in that then Jesus being one with God, 
I'm certainly not going to be able to speak the word as eloquently and to the point as Jesus did. I apologize even that you would have to endure then my analogy. But in that same sort of a way, I don't know if we have to show our work. Obviously, this passage of scripture I read to you has something to say about work. Because most of the laws of Moses, that's what they construed them as. was a lot of work. And nobody was able to do it as well as Jesus. Nobody was able to speak it as well as Jesus. Nobody was able to present it as well as Jesus. That is why the conclusion that they came to upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, upon the encounter that they all, as apostles, had directly with Jesus Christ, and even so extend that to those that now are just disciples who did not get a chance to speak with Jesus in personage. In a literal personage. They still do through the Holy Spirit. But in a literal personage. Yet they come to Jesus. And accept. His gospel. He as the Christ. The message of the gospel. Which is. Basically. Not of works. But by faith. Are you saved. Now does that mean. That the Gentiles. Were any less saved. Absolutely not. Does that mean that the Jews were wrong for working towards salvation? Absolutely not. Does any of this mean that the Hebrew people cannot be saved? Absolutely not. Does any of this mean that the law of Moses is better than the example of Jesus the Christ? Because Christ didn't come off of the law of Moses. Actually, the greatest consolidation, the most pithy expression of the Mosaic Law, not was just was not just the Ten Commandments, as God chose to write them down for Moses on tablets of stone. But Jesus brought them down to two great commandments, which I am quite fond of. For those of you, once again, who have listened to prior podcasts, I don't want to wear you out on the two great commandments, but I always go back to them because that is all you need to know about the Old Testament. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. To know there is but one God. To love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And to love others as you love yourself. If you do that, Jesus said, you fulfilled all of that. But what was that for? What was the Old Testament for? Certainly it can lead you to Christ. It was a revelation of God. As James pointed out, God called for the people to example himself in literal dimensions. And as much as that same people produced the Christ, Jesus, they did their job. They just weren't going to experience salvation because you're never going to earn it through works. And until Jesus came and the gospel presented salvation, not in terms of works, but in terms of grace and mercy and forgiveness, the love of God manifests unto his people so much that he would send his only begotten son that whosoever shall believeth upon him, Nicodemus, shall be saved. The Holy Spirit 
is what salvation is all about. The Old Testament just gets our mind in proper alignment so that we might then receive all that the Holy Spirit has for us. Did it require Jesus, the Christ, for us to come to the Holy Spirit? Yes. He is the Christ, the Messiah. But God's intention all along was not to necessarily bring forth the Holy Spirit only as much in Jesus the Christ as it would have been to give us the Holy Spirit and then required humans, we required because of iniquity and sin in the garden and the fall and It's very difficult to argue that wasn't part of the plan. I can't understand it all. I am, again, incapable of parables. I can't speak word that stirs up the gift as Jesus spoke word that stirred up the gift. But Jesus spoke word in parables so that we might understand them because it's not of our intellect. Our intellect just logistically leads us to, I believe, two principal conclusions. One is, if we don't have some help, assistance from God in human dimension to understand salvation, what he's called us to, then we will not be prepared when Jesus, who is the Christ, God gave so that we then might see what that would be like in human terms, so that we then might be in the best position to receive the Holy Spirit and our salvation, as would then be the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But it's not the dispensation of the Holy Spirit entirely. I understand why in the day of Pentecost we see that as dispensation, because up to that point, nobody was able to really permit or allow what God had already planted into us, as with Adam, the first Adam, The creation, it lay dormant until such time that Jesus came so that we then might, in that stirring up the gift, really have the full dispensation. He presented it through the Hebrew people so that we might come to an awareness of Christ. For the Hebrew people, it may have been their correction or as with that then, the opening up of their mind to receive the gospel message in the way that it needed to be given, that the forgiveness and grace was so that the Holy Spirit could then manifest himself in now, Acts chapter 15, Gentile dimensions. The Gentiles did not have to have Mosaic law to be saved. All the Gentiles had to believe was that the Holy Spirit was in them like he had been placed all along in all humankind, but even so in the Hebrew people. Now, having said all of that, it's sort of like my son. 
He couldn't show his work, but he had that in him, or he could not come up with, and I should, I think I said this, but I should just make sure I said this, because he always come up with the right answer. I just couldn't tell him how to get there. I couldn't tell him how to do the work, and myself, I need instructions. But even with instructions, I'm not going to be good at math. But thankfully, my salvation is not predicated upon any mathematical calculation, any sort of logistic maneuver of my brain, any comprehension beyond the simple message, I am failed, as with the Old Testament message, to save myself I need supernatural assistance. Jesus Christ brought to my awareness of the love of God that was in me. Why? How? Because he put it in me when he breathed life into Adam. I needed Jesus to bring that forth out of me again because it had gotten all lost in my realization that I couldn't show my work. But I don't need to show my work in a logistic sort of way. I don't need to prove that I understand all the theology of it. I don't need to establish that I am so studied, workman approved, in the word, if I can, out of a good heart and in Christ Jesus, he brings forth by his simple Testimony, Simple in the sense that it does not have to have a yoke. Remember Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You just have to believe. You believe in me. You believe in my gospel. And what is my gospel? That in you I can reside because God is already placed in you. The Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being love, His Spirit. You've just eaten so much of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you've lost sight of it. I am the tree of life, Jesus would say. And in that, then, partake of my fruit, which is God loves you, the two great commandments. But only as much as you would receive and love him as he loves you. So that could be then established in love. And you might rightly receive me. And then you might rightly realize and understand out of your bellies shall flow. Out of your heart, your soul will come. Proceed forth from that well. Rivers of living water. As then would be given unto the Gentiles. So that they too might discover they have it in them. And lest then, this even in our best pontifications, maybe not yours so much mine, I screw it up for you any more than everybody else who's gone before you that has not come from that central premise, that none of this is of human construction. It is of God, and he put that in us to begin with so we might lay claim to it in proper time and season so that, that, that the fig tree would bear fruit when it was intentioned to. And then we might discover just 
how much God really loves us so that it might pour forth out of us unto all of those that are still awaiting this messianic message, as with Hebrew, as this Christ message, as with Hebrew, as now then the message of God's love, God, so that others might understand it's not going to be a fornication. It's not going to be as with of some human corruption, human construct. Intellectually, no matter how bright you are, no matter how you might wrap your head entirely around it, you will not be saved through your head. You will be saved through your heart, but your head has to cooperate lest you reject the message. And what is the message? It's the tangible, tangible, put your hands on it, expression of Jesus Christ. But it's not even so much the man, Jesus. It is now in Jesus Christ as with spirit. We too begin to manifest Christ. And should we understand that is only from the throne of God as in this way of the breath of life, as in this way with Jesus again restoring, breathing again the breath of life into us. It's going to come out of us, but it won't be us. It'll be Jesus. It'll be the Christ. It'll be the Christ message ensuing. Acts chapter 15. I'm going to go to uh, Peter and James, starting with verse 6. I read the whole chapter, or pretty much the most of it, the majority of it, a moment ago earlier on the podcast. But we're going to go back to verse 6. And the apostles and elders came together to consider of this matter. What is the matter? Once again, the Mosaic law and whether or not the Gentiles had to be subject to that. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knoweth the hearts, bore them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us. I am not a theologian. I don't want to pretend like I could nitpick. I don't want to pretend like we're going to do a deep dive into the Greek. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm not saying that you can't get out those references Strong's Concordance to understand the Hebrew and the Greek translations. Those are all great theological exercises. Those are all important to make sure that we rightly divide the word. But if the word is not given unto us in its purest of forms, it is going to be subject through our intellect and our best attempts at communicating, showing your work. How to do this thing that you may actually create more problems than you do benefit. I knew that I was not going to do my son any good because I couldn't explain it. And pretending like I could was not going to help him. I was just thankful he had it in him. 
But more than again, a mental exercise as with language, as with mathematics, line upon line, precept upon precept even, let's not miss the primary point. And that would be even as Peter declared it. And God, who knoweth the hearts, bore them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us. When was it dispensed? When was it given? I believe it was given all along. It just took all along to get to Jesus before we understood we have to stop fighting against God and allow his spirit to take preeminence and to predominate in our life. Allow the power that was placed at earthen vessels all along to proceed forth and ensue. And as much as you need proof of that, Peter was saying the Gentile people already have it or peoples already have it. Verse 7, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. And what would be the disputing? I contend, even out of this confusion of trying to understand it, trying to explain all the postulates, all the rules, to the losing of the actual point. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter did not impart the Holy Spirit unto them. Peter spoke the words much better than me. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Spirit in them, that again, even as Jesus had given Peter the power to do that by stirring up that in him, who was also of Gentile persuasion more than he was Hebrew persuasion, and certainly wasn't a Pharisee, and certainly did not know the Mosaic law as thoroughly, certainly as the rabbi, and Moses, as he would be preached in the synagogues daily, James would say, here in a few moments, we'll read that again. It's not necessary because all that's necessary is an awareness. That Holy Spirit is in us. God has already seen fit To plant that within us. We just have to stop fighting against it. Him. And loose it. And continuing verse 9. And put no difference between us and them. Purifying their hearts by faith. It's not a work of your knowledge that purifies you. It's not even a knowledge of the scripture word that purifies you. If the word has the capability to sanctify, to purify, it's because it's anointed of the Holy Spirit. It was given of the Holy Spirit to whom? Those that were still lost when they captured it, wrote it down. How do I know that? Because they were of Old Testament Were they any less sanctified? No, because it didn't come from them. It came from the Holy Spirit that gave it unto them. But where was the Holy Spirit? He must have been somewhat close by or resident, I would contend, within them. He had just gotten covered up by the humanity and his corruption, the iniquity, the tree of knowledge of good and evil that the devil manipulates even today, 
to continue to keep the full revelation of not only God, but Jesus as the Christ from even a lot of folks who profess that they believe in Jesus the Christ, but don't operate in any of the power that is available unto them, especially unto ministering of the gospel, the message of reconciliation, and then all the power that then would ensue, once again, flow forth, come forth, flow out of them, out of their soul, what so? Even as it would be humanity, they still have personage. There's a human soul. Now it is reconciled unto God in Holy Spirit operation, so much so that they then would be the representation of Christ. Not that they're Christ, Jesus is the Christ. But out of them shall be not only the things that Jesus was capable or was able to show at the time, because that was all that they at the time were ready to receive, but even more and greater things. And that's where we are today. But going to verse 9, Acts 15. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now 10. Now, therefore, why put God to the test to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? What disciples? I believe not only the disciples that were of the apostolic apostles sort of ministering to, but now even so extend that to the Gentiles, not only of Hebrew persuasion, but now of Gentile persuasion. They are now disciples. They now believe in that power. They do not need to be convinced. They do not need to be shown. They do not need to go through some logistical exercise. They do not need to be in that way prepared to receive because in some ways they're much like children receiving an innocence. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Even as a little child, they were willing to receive Does that mean it's a wasted effort to understand the Old Testament? No. Does it mean that it's a wasted effort to try to abide by any of those? (laughs) Certainly the ten. Some in the Old Testament aren't even relevant any longer. God gave it to them for their time, their season. And I do believe even as Noah, they were perfect in their generation. But we live in a different time In time, God not in time, but with that, the human comprehension, understanding, we're well beyond that, should be, if only because now Jesus has been redeeming souls for some time and now through the work of the disciples, the Hebrew people, the Messianic Hebrew people who accepted Jesus as the Christ, but also the Gentiles. And with that then, why would we want to take them back to something that was tutelage and was insufficient as with the Old Testament? It did not save them. You could say it prepared them, but if you're innocent, if you're a child and your mom or your dad or someone comes along and says, I love you, you have no reason to doubt them. 
until, until iniquity and original sin manifests itself. And in such then, we're all born into, unfortunately, the humanism. And before we're at a point, age of accountability, where we can recognize, once again, the need for undoing all of the corruption that it amasses, before we get to that place, the age of accountability, where we can choose Jesus so that we can be then fully restored. Kids are pretty sweet. I mean, there's a lot of great things to be said about childhood and childhood innocence and the love they have. Is it beyond corruption? No. Will it be corrupted? Yes. Will there still be a need for Jesus and the gospel message of Christ? But really what Jesus represents is no lying, no cheating, no stealing. He's not going to say one thing. He's not going to be a hypocrite much like the Pharisees. He's not going to go preaching a bunch of word, but then when it comes right down to it, resort to, unfortunately, all of those things that come out of your knowledge of good and evil, which is nothing but condemnation. Not because it condemns us, it just calls us to an awareness. Nothing good comes out of humanity. Because we are not noble in our humanity. If we have virtue and character, as with even so, the Proverbs 31 messaging of the virtuous woman, Solomon not only marry a virtuous woman, but marry virtue. Thank you, Bathsheba, for giving Solomon that so wise of messages. But if we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it is not out of our then intellect or understanding or theology that we're going to save the world. It's out of our love. But that is the good news. If you love someone, though they may have been harmed and corrupted and hurt, that's how you save people. Not you, but Christ in you. But that's how salvation comes. And it doesn't take much. If it's genuine, if it's authentic, if it's legitimate, if it's of Jesus, if it's of the Holy Spirit, you can explain it. <laughs> what is it say? Seven ways till Sunday? But you'll never communicate that except through genuine Holy Spirit love. And people know when you love them and when you're just saying about your stuff. To get them to do what you think, even if you think you believe. You can't say that you believe if you do it out of yourself or any lying, cheating, and stealing, manipulating. You have to do it out of the Holy Spirit, which comes along with life, but is restoration, reestablished to what we were originally as God created Adam called to be his master plan all along before the devil and with that tree of knowledge of good and evil and with that seducing of Eve, Adam led us into the fall, took us to fall, fallen state. And with that, fall from grace. And with that, then all that, those years of wandering around in the wilderness 
not just the 40, but all the time from that to the day of Jesus' coming, just to get us prepared to receive Jesus. And understand, it doesn't matter. You can prophesy as much God would give you prophecy. You can foretell as much as God would give you that foretelling. You can receive the promise, but until Jesus comes, until the Christ was manifest, there would not be an act of selfless sacrifice of atonement for sin, taking on the sins of all of this, the corruption that is the material carnal nature, and not striking back, not condemning, but genuinely, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, loving By the power of God manifest in Jesus, the Christ, so that we would have a testimony to begin to work with. That's how the Gentiles came to Jesus, came to salvation. You can't just preach it. You have to take the conditions off of it. But the conditions that they did leave them with, they were, again, pretty simple and pretty basic. Don't get out in the weeds again. Recognize there is but one Savior, Jesus Christ. Abide in Him. Now that you have found the love that you have searched for your entire life, why would you go back to the lesser? Verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, We shall be saved. (laughs) And Peter says that, even as they. They got it quicker and better. You can't get upset with them. Because God chose the Hebrew people. You can't get upset with them. Seemingly so, it was so easy. Because he had to show what that was through somebody. The Hebrew people were the example and the testimony of life without God. But it is in the example and testimony of life without God and our carnal nature alone. Once again, I keep going back to the knowledge of good and evil alone. Old Testament even word alone. It's not enough. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God did visit the nations. First, did visit the nations to take out of them a people for his sake, or his name, namesake. That's what we just said. The Hebrew people. This is what it looks like. It was... A privilege to lay down your life for others. It was to be a privilege to be part of the generations. To come to the revelation of who God is. To be able to receive tutelage, specifically instruction from God. To have been given Holy Spirit discernment with the clarity because Somehow God had captured your attention. 
Certainly you could say, well, with Adam, the beginning of the Hebrew people, it was there again. My contention all along. But I think by the time that the fall had taken place, it was all a bit of an uphill struggle in the sense of preparing a place. And even so, John the Baptist as would then prophetically signify the time has come. Even so, as Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, John made us quite aware. It's not of just water. It's of spirit. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as is written, After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again its ruins and I will set it up. And who is James speaking of? Of course, the Christ. But again, through the Hebrew people. And who is he speaking to? Not only the Hebrew people, but now as he began, all nations. The Hebrew people were just pulled or taken out, consecrated. For that purpose. But it's all along been for all nations. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the nations upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. And what are these things? It would be to believe. To believe upon God. To believe Upon the word of God, not Old Testament only, but now living word of God that brings again life forth. As in living word dimension. Waiting for so long for Jesus to come, the Christ to come. So that we might see then the fruition of the salvation plan. The redemption of all human souls in Jesus the Christ. Returned unto the divine nature and eventually so much so after the passing from this life unto God in Jesus the Christ and Holy Spirit. Wherefore my judgment... Well, I'm going to... At verse 18, I skipped 18, sorry. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the age. And what is the age? The dispensation. <laughs> Not of the, only the Holy Spirit, but of this age and time. And what we know, as God would then, from the very beginning, as in creating Adam, would have given unto us. From the very beginning, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the age. God knew all along. God had a plan in place all along. God had the tree of life in the Garden of Eden all along. God knew that this would be the course of humanity. There would be the element of iniquity. There would then be the sin that would follow the iniquity. But not just the mistakes, which could be forgiven, but a willful 
desire to place the creation above the creator, to assume that it's of ourselves and that we sanctify the world. No, Jesus the Christ, more so the gospel of Jesus as is always back, Nicodemus, take it back to the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived his life in material dimensions by choice, I believe, he demonstrated. Even with that, the tempting of Christ in the wilderness, a choice still had to be made to allow the Holy Spirit preeminence. The dispensation was given of God. Jesus released it. In us by speaking anointed word, but also by applying living word, not of himself, but of the power of the Holy Spirit within him. Continue with verse 19. Wherefore my judgment is that we trouble not them who from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. Don't get into the weeds. Don't try to concoct a God of your own creation, of your human conceptualization, your human empirically so, your human experiences, because they're really, as with Job, and his audience with God. I could try to explain it all to you, Job, but you've got no reference for it. That's why he gave us Jesus, so that we would have a reference for it. Abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication. What is fornication? I believe there's a sexual immorality that goes with it. But I think fornication is broader than just simply sexual immorality. I think fornication, sexual immorality is a form of that. But I think really fornication is indulging in those intimacies... Of all bodily, sort of emotional, psychological, as well as physical intimacies with carnality to such the extent that you're messing around with something that we know is not to be of us, even our best interpretations. <laughs> My best analogies can't capture God. Our best psychological constructs of who we are and what the world should be cannot capture the essence of God. (laughs) For they that worship God, as again the Samaritan woman at the well and Jesus' instruction, worship Him in spirit and truth. And the truth is, we try to explain it. It does help us to open our mind to receiving it. We recognize some of the corruptions of it, unfortunately, by contrast to what we now know, as with, again, Old Testament, as with what God showed the Hebrew people where they were falling short for the sake of correcting the mistakes. But iniquity is, again, a defiance. Once we have been called to an awareness, we reject the Christ. That will send you to hell. But that's fornication. That's idol worship. And from things strangled and from blood. It's not of blood. 
It's certainly not of material sacrifices. That was all the Old Testament could bring, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That sort of judgment, reciprocity is a kinder way of describing it. It does not capture so much the gruesome aspects of bloodletting. Kill or be killed. That's all that even the best, the most noble of human aspirations alone will attain if it's not anointed by the Word of God, living Word of God, tree of life, manifestation, Holy Spirit. Were it not for the Holy Spirit, we kill each other off in a heartbeat. And then when the Holy Spirit was manifest in carnal dimensions, as in Jesus the Christ, what did we do? We bloodlet. We were otherwise quite strangling. We wanted to kill it. We gnashed upon it with our teeth. And even so, not only Jesus, but any that come in the name of Jesus, and certainly with that then, manifest the glory of God, which is not only the hinder parts, as Moses was sitting in the cleft of the rock, but shew me your glory. He got the Ten Commandments and then had to go back up and understand, wait a minute, this is just an outward representation for the sake of at least catching our attention to what we are and what we're called to be so that when the time comes that Jesus would pass by, we could receive him. We could receive the love of God as manifest in Christ, but not just for those who saw him in, again, physical, material dimension, experienced him as with the apostles, but now we experience him, as I alluded to very early on in today's podcast, because there's a living testimony of God's love of Jesus Christ within us. It is the Holy Spirit. He is part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He, as with Jesus, as with God, form a singular one that goes back to the two great commandments. To love God, all manifestations of God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then out of that, to spread the gospel, to love others. That is the gospel. The Gentiles will receive that much better. If you try to preach to them, if you try to bring them into submission through some law, even if it is theological, even if it is straight from the Old Testament, if you don't anoint it with the end, and I would believe the end first, tell them of Jesus. Tell them of how much Jesus, God loved them, that he would send his only son to die for them. And Jesus loved them that he would then forgive them even as they crucified him. And now so me, or you as you're telling them, I am not going to strangle you. I am not going to go eye for eye, tooth for tooth with you. I am going to turn the other cheek. I am going to, should it be mine to do, I am going to lay down my life for you, but I won't do it of myself because there's no power in me, in my humanity to do it that way, except it would be the Holy Spirit. But God brought all of us, all humanity, through the Hebrew people to an awareness of such, through the Word of God, Old and New Testament, to the awareness of such that when Jesus passes by, we begin to realize 
God's been with us all along. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. He's never abandoned us. His Holy Spirit has been with us all along. We rejected him. And the iniquity again would be continuing to reject Jesus, God incarnate, as he would show this to us. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. Continuing verse 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. I don't know. Again, I can't. I can't speak it. Moses even of stammering lips. I can't speak it. I can't present it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not theologically trained enough. I don't know that there's an ever an end to all of the knowledge or all the, the attempt to know enough to really be able to explain God's plan of salvation. It's beyond human comprehension. But I can testify of it. I can, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony, example it. I can tell you, especially if you're lost, about Jesus. That is what I believe we have as tools. The sword is the word of God. But the two-edged sword is not only to judgment, but it's also into grace and mercy. And it does pierce the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joy and morrow. And is a discerner of the intent of the heart. But it will go to the heart. And what will the word find? The word draws unto itself itself. The Holy Spirit. And if I be lifted up, even as Jesus, because Jesus was lifted up, not only did he draw all men unto himself, but I could be that same vessel, but only through the Holy Spirit. But I have the great benefit that this is not a new gospel. That Jesus will not come again until the word is spread to all nations. We're doing that now. I'm one little voice, as with the podcast, not knowing entirely nor caring to, for the sake of my own discouragement, (laughs) potential for discouragement. Who is listening to me? But I don't care as much as I care about presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if there's just one, as they say, that's hearing it, I'm fulfilling my mission. But I don't do that just through the podcast. I do that daily in my walk. I am a living epistle of Jesus the Christ. And I'm ministering not only to Gentiles who are lost, I'm ministering to Christians who are lost still or don't understand, appreciate as within the living testimony, as then with the Holy Spirit testimony, as within my love unto them or for them in the name of Jesus, by authority and power of Jesus, that that is the only way to resurrection and salvation. 
Who gets to be saved? The white throne judgment. Is your name written into the Lamb's book of life? I would believe all those that call upon the name of Jesus and accept Him as Lord and Savior are there. But I want to be the best example I can. Maybe that's out of some human passion or desire to hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant, as the Apostle Paul. Maybe it's, again, (laughs) because I can't escape the Pharisee in me. To want to tear the world about how it all happens and what you should do. My counseling, (laughs) covenants. Specialized pastoral care, covenants, Christian counseling is not predicate upon me telling you how to be saved. It's me demonstrating the love of God in Christ Jesus and allowing Him, and should the words be inadequate, miserably so, out of any intellectual capacity to capture who God is, who Jesus is, I'm just so thankful that it doesn't depend upon that. It is the spirit, the inspiration, my love for others in Jesus Christ. That's why I think it was important. They don't put the yoke of the theology of the Old Testament upon those that simply in faith believe in love, believe in Jesus. I would, again, encourage everyone to read the Old and New Testament. I would encourage everyone to understand there is wisdom. But if you don't seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness in Jesus, you'll never get to understanding why God then gave us the Word because the Word keeps us rightly out of our human dimension. It brings our mind, tears down strongholds, into the proper place to really then permit the Holy Spirit to have His full way with us. His full sway. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. Is it all Him? Because otherwise, it's just going to lead to damnation and condemnation. And for those that don't know Jesus... It could play right into the devil's hands. They're not good enough. God didn't love them enough, love them enough, that he's judging them, that he has no mercy or grace afforded them, available to them. Christian counseling, specialized pastoral care, is about that message and knowing that Jesus saves and that the love of God Manifest in Christ Jesus and the operation of the Holy Spirit comforting, but also leading us, guiding us. The Sermon on the Mount. That's the only way to be able to rightly then minister the word and to sanctify those, some of which may not be at the same place we are, but if they believe in Jesus, you can't let any of that become a curse against them. And the devil would love it if you would then somehow, even without intention, fall into the trap of being holier than thou. So, I confessed it real quick. I don't know, man. Go talk to your mom. But I do know Jesus. And you know Jesus. 
And out of your belly is going to flow rivers of living water. And even again as a Samaritan woman, go to your village and tell them about this man who knew everything about you, but didn't condemn you for any of that, but said, you can be saved. You can be set free from all of that. The accuser of the brethren shouldn't be you. It's the devil. If any of this would resonate, certainly you can reach out to me. You can contact me at covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. You can visit us online at covenantsonline.com. You can catch us on Facebook and YouTube at Covenants. You can call us, 304-528-9220. And, of course, you can catch the next podcast. Until we get a chance to meet again, in the name of Jesus, God bless you. And thanks. Thanks.